Good morning. This week we're in the book of Jeremiah. So if you've got a Bible or if you don't, take your uh, chair Bible and open up to Jeremiah. We're going to be in chapter 29. And then next week, Pastor Matt will be in chapter 31. Let me just give you a little introduction to Jeremiah. It was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, was written over about 42 years, five different kings that uh, reigned in some different settings during that time. Jeremiah really has no logical pattern to it. So if you're reading through it and you're trying to, you know, see a chronology or something like that in the book, there isn't. What it is is it's some sermons, it's some letters, it's some uh, things that he just put out there to, to God's people. And what he was trying to do was to wake them up to their need to change their lifestyle. They were living in sin. They were living in dis- disobedience. They were worshiping idols. They were worshiping false gods. And Jeremiah was, was putting it out there to God's people to say, this is not the way that God created you to live. You need to make some changes or there are consequences. The first half of the book is mostly poetry. The second half prose. The first half of the book has a lot of prophecies and, again, just talking about the judgment of God on his people because of their sin and their idolatry. The second half, is the emphasis is more on some conflicts with different kings and, and uh, kind of wraps up with, with the uh, fall of Judah, and talking about that. And then finally, Jeremiah, who was in Jerusalem, and some of the other people living in Jerusalem, escaping from there to, to Egypt. So that's an overview. This week, as I said, we're looking at Jeremiah 29, and it talks about hope. I was thinking about hope, and then I was, thankfully, remembered that I've got an anniversary in a couple of weeks. It's my 34th, and as I say, I know I don't look that old, and, you know. And I was remembering my engagement with my wife. We, we dated for a short time, and we're engaged for a little bit longer. And somewhere through that engagement, she gave back the engagement ring. I didn't quite understand that because I thought, you know, I mean, come on, look at what you got here, girl. (laughs) Apparently she didn't think that. So she gave back the engagement ring, you know, and and I kind of lost some hope. You know, when you're engaged, you got all this hope for your marriage and for, you know, all the great things are going to happen and all that sort of stuff. And all of a sudden it's like, but it, a month or so later, she realized what God's will was for her life, and she took the engagement ring back. And uh, I'm just kidding. And uh, you can laugh at that. But, and I'm not sure what she was thinking again, but then another couple of months later, and she, she gave me back the engagement ring. And there went my hope. Some of us have been there. Some of you have been there. You know, maybe it's because of a job, maybe it's because of a relationship, maybe it's because of some thing that you had dreamed about and hoped would become a reality in your life and it didn't, or it fell apart. Nation of Israel is at that place. We're going to look at, at uh, some things about the hope of that nation and what God wanted to say to them in that situation. You know, they probably had come, many of them, to the end of their hope. They were 
captives in Babylon. They'd been taken to a foreign country. They'd lost everything. They'd lost their homes and their possessions. They'd lost their homeland. They'd lost their freedom. They lost their means of making a living. They lost their connection with relatives and friends, some of whom had died in these battles that took place in, as they were taken off to Babylon. And some of them were, were in Jerusalem, 500 miles away from where they were living. And in that day, you know, you didn't hop on a plane, you didn't even take a bus or a train, you got on the back of a camel or something like that and traveled about uh, 10 miles a day. And so you think about that, probably a couple months before they could even hope, if it was possible for them to leave Babylon, to get back to friends and family in their homeland. They had reason to feel like there was no hope. Their hope had come to an end. They were humbled. They were hopeless. Have you ever been there? A place where everything has been pulled out from under you. Where you're feeling like it's the end of hope. Some of you have heard of a man, <clears throat> he's dead now, unfortunately, but his name was, or maybe fortunately, his name was Christopher Hitchens. He is an author, an atheist, wrote lots of books and debated a lot. Uh, all of it was against Christianity, against religion, against God. Well, in summer of 2010, Hitchens was diagnosed with terminal cancer. At, the, at that time, he wrote this. He wrote, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. I had plans for my next decade, and I felt I'd worked hard to earn it. Will I really not live to see my children married? To the dumb question, why me, the cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? You feel swamped with passivity and impotence. And he says this, dissolving into powerlessness like a sugar lump in water. Like a sugar lump in water. Maybe you've felt like that at some point in your life. Maybe you feel that way today. and Maybe you feel that way this morning. You want to run, you want to hide, you want to escape. It seems impossible as you look forward if you're not feeling that, there's a good chance maybe a friend or family member or a neighbor is feeling that. Because we are in a world filled with people that feel like that, that there is no hope. There are other people who have an empty hope. You look at verses 8 through 10. In Jeremiah 29, it says this. It says, The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them. These fortune tellers, these prophets, were giving false hope to God's people. They were trying to convince them, or maybe had convinced them, that they were only going to be in Babylon for a couple days or a couple years. Don't bother rebuilding. Don't, don't bother with your families. 
There's no need to settle down, to resume normal life. But Jeremiah told them just the opposite. See, we're in a world with people who have empty hope because they're putting their hope in temporary, fleeting things. Maybe it's their position or their possessions or maybe some pleasure they're pursuing, some possibility for the future that probably won't happen. Maybe that's you. If only I got that job. If only I got that car or that house or only if I won the lottery. You know, this week I Googled lottery winners that ended up with their lives falling apart. You've heard those stories. Won millions and millions of dollars. And they've, they've met their dream and their thought. They've realized their hope and their families fall apart. They lose everything to drugs or to gambling or to stupidness. There's a lot of false hope, a lot of empty hope in our world. People trying this and that and the other thing in order to find hope. Jeremiah, to God's people, says there is an enduring hope that you can experience. And that's what I want us to look at mostly this morning. Jeremiah says, one thing that he says is, is you need to get perspective on your situation. He says this to the, the captives in Babylon that were feeling hopeless. In verse 4 it says this, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Who's he? Is it Nebuchadnezzar, the king? Is it the Babylonian army? No, it's God. Jeremiah says, God is the one that puts you in this place. You're going, whoa, that's not what I wanted to hear. See, one of the first steps in turning tragedy into triumph in our lives is to accept the situation courageously and put ourselves in the hands of of a loving God who makes no mistakes. See, God either knows, he allows, or he sends things into our lives for his purposes. We need to have perspective. God sees our situation differently than we do. He often has a a different perspective on what's going on in our situation See, God is more concerned, as someone has said, about us developing character and not comfort. Think of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? We looked at him a couple months ago. Joseph, as you may recall, was, was the favorite son of his dad. He had a bunch of brothers, and he was the favorite he was the one that, got, or that dad gave that multicolored coat to, the special garment that he wore around proudly in front of his brothers to show it off. He was the one that predicted through some dreams and stuff that his brothers were going to end up bowing down to him. Well, his brothers got sick and tired of that. What'd they do? Well, he happened to be out in the countryside with them one time, and, and they... Uh, Well, first they threw him into a pit, but then, hey, there's a caravan coming along. That's a bunch of slave traders. 
why don't we just sell our brother to them? So they did. Joseph ends up in, in Egypt as a slave to the Pharaoh. Well, the Pharaoh's wife takes a liking to Joseph. And Joseph was like, I'm not there. And so she got him thrown in jail. Remember that? Spent some time in jail, met a couple of guys there that she did some nice things for that should have helped him to get out of jail. They didn't do that, so he spent a little more time in jail. And finally, because he was able to uh, help the Pharaoh out and interpret some dreams and things, he became second in command after the Pharaoh. And a famine came through that part of the world because of uh, drought. And Joseph was the guy that saved Egypt and the guy that all the surrounding people in other countries came to to ask for food because they didn't have any. They didn't, his brother and his family didn't have any. So his, his brothers end up coming to Egypt, bowing down before Joseph, just as he had predicted. And finally, they find out, this is our brother Joseph that we sold into slavery. What's he going to do to us? He probably hates us. He's probably going to kill us or throw us in jail. And this is what Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 45, verses 7 and 8. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. And listen to this. So it was God who sent me here, not you. Joseph had perspective on his situation. Could he have been in a place of feeling hopeless and helpless and frustrated with God? He saw his God, God's hand in the midst of that. Story, a more contemporary story told of a young man. His name is Daniel Ritchie. He was born without arms. Graduated from college in North Carolina with a 3.3 grade average. He was called into the ministry at age 16. He was a follower of Jesus. He loved Jesus. He said Jesus changed his life, that Jesus gave him a new confidence when he came to know him. He told people that he had a purpose, God did, in making him the way he was without arms. And he says this, he says, If God has gotten me this far in my life, no matter what you have to face, whether it be a family member dying of cancer or a sick child or tough financial times or whatever, even though things might not go as you would have planned, and listen to this, he says God is still sovereign and God is still Lord over that. You feeling hopeless? You know some people that are feeling hopeless? That's a perspective that we need to have. God's sovereign. He's Lord over whatever happens in our lives, is what Jeremiah says to the, the people of God, is what Jeremiah says to us this morning. We need to get perspective. God is sovereign. There is nothing that he does not know, allow, or send into our lives. Jeremiah also says, you know what? You need to get productive. Now, Jeremiah understood that, you know, when we're in the midst of feeling hopeless, what do we want to do? We want to, we want to dig a hole in the ground and, and bury ourselves in it. We want to escape. We want to run. We want to get as far from people and things and life as we possibly can. And Jeremiah 
to God's people says, no, you need to start doing some things. You need to build homes and houses. You need to have families. You need to be involved in, in what's going on in that country that you're in. Some of you may have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor, a theologian during Nazi Germany. He stood up for the Jews. He stood up for the church. He stood up for godliness in that place. And on April 5th of 1943, the Gestapo, the German German police, came to his parents' home where, where Bonhoeffer was staying. And they hauled him off to prison. They put him in a German prison for the rest of his life. It was the place where he died for his faith. But he was productive in that place. And one of the prisoners said this of Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer greatly inspired all those who came in contact with him. He even inspired his guards with respect. Some of whom became so much attached to him that they smuggled out of prison his papers and his poems that he wrote there and apologized to him for having to lock his door after the rounds in the courtyard. You know, people, we want to, when we get to those places of hopelessness, we want to draw into ourselves. We want to just kind of put a cocoon around us. And Jeremiah says, no, you need to get involved. You need to be productive. You need to do things that are pleasing to God in the places where he puts you. Jeremiah says to his people not only to get productive, but also to get praying. Verse 7, it says, pray to the Lord for it. That is the the leadership of, of Babylon. In verse 12, it says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. The reason we need to pray is because prayer helps us to see things differently. We get God's perspective on what's going on around us. God does respond to the prayers of his people. That's why we need to pray. Her name was Ruby Hamilton. She was a 50-something successful businesswoman in the Chicago area. She was shocked when she heard that her husband had been killed in an auto accident. Some of the reasons that she was shocked is she'd been married for 32 years. She became a follower of Jesus in her 20s. And for 32 years, she had prayed, God, please bring my husband into a relationship with you. And then he died. Roger Simons had just finished a tour of duty in the Army. He was hitchhiking his way back to where his family was outside of the Chicago area and standing on the side of the road in a black Cadillac, big black Cadillac, pulled up, stopped, opened the door, invited him to uh, hop in and throw his bag in the back. And so Roger got in and started chit-chatting with the guy, the driver, and the driver introduced himself and said his name was Hamilton. And Roger, in the process of... uh, talking to Mr. Hamilton has had this burden Roger was a follower of Jesus had this burden on his heart 
that he should tell Mr. Hamilton about Jesus and about his need to have a relationship with Jesus. So finally, as they're driving along, they're only about 30 miles from Roger's destination outside of Chicago. Finally works up the nerve and uh, he shares about Jesus with Mr. Hamilton. He says, you know, we're sinful. God loves us. Jesus came that we could have a relationship with God. And Mr. Hamilton pulls the car over to the side of the road and Roger's like, oh, he's going to kick me out of the car. Mr. Hamilton says, you know what? I've been looking for this all my life. And on the side of the road, at that spot, Mr. Hamilton asked Jesus to come into his heart. Left off Roger, Mr. Hamilton drove off, or drove on. Five years later, Roger's married, got some kids, successful businessman, needs to take a business trip to Chicago. As he's opening his bag, he to pack, he finds there's a, a business card in there, Hamilton Enterprises. And he remembers that date, May 7th, five years before that he'd gotten the ride from Mr. Hamilton and shared Jesus with him. And he thought, you know, when I get to Chicago, I'm just going to go over to Hamilton Enterprises. I'm going to look up Mr. Hamilton and I'd just like to catch up with him, see what's going on. So Roger does that. He gets to Hamilton Enterprises, gets to the receptionist, says, I'd like to speak to Mr. Hamilton. The receptionist says, I'm sorry, he can't. But you could speak to Mrs. Hamilton. Mrs. Hamilton comes out. Roger says, you know, I knew your husband. And then Roger goes on to explain that her husband had picked him up and given him a ride five years ago. He said it was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. Ms. Hamilton's, or Mrs. Hamilton says, was there anything special about that day? She was trying to figure out what had happened, this accident with her husband and things. And Roger hesitated, and finally he said, Mrs. Hamilton, I explained the gospel to your husband that day. He pulled over on the side of the road and wept against the steering wheel. He gave his life to Christ that day. And Mrs. Hamilton just bursts out in tears, sobbing uncontrollably. Finally, she gets a grip on herself. And she says, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed God would save him. Roger looks at her and he says, where's your husband, Ruby? He's dead. He was in a car crash. After he let you out of the car, he never got home. You see, I thought God had not kept his promise. I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought God had not kept his word. You're feeling hopeless. You're feeling like it's impossible. You're feeling like God's given up on you. Jeremiah says, get praying. And then Jeremiah says that we need to get God's plan. Verses 10 and 11 says, The Lord says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, 
their plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah says, you know what? There is an end. Nothing is forever except forever. He says, God does have good things, plans for his people. And some we're going to see now in this world, maybe it'll be a while. Some may not be till eternity, but God does have good plans for his people. Jeremiah says, it is his plan for us. Not we th- what we think his plan for us should be. He said, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. And Jeremiah says, we need to look to God for all that we have. We need to give it all that we have. God says, you know what? You need to seek me with all your hearts. You need to be all in. You need to give it all. You need to stop holding back. He says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you. Ken Hutcherson was a pastor. He's a former pro football player. He shares his uh, personal journey in a book that he wrote called Hope is Contagious. His personal journey of facing terminal cancer. In the process of, of this experience, this process of wrestling with this before God, and this process of, of dealing with some of the hopelessness that he felt along the way, he came across this story. It was in the newspaper in Chicago. story of a young boy that was shot in a drive-by shooting and permanently disabled. Nobody in the neighborhood would step up. All of them knew who the shooter was, but nobody would step up to point the finger at this shooter. Even the mom of the boy knew who the shooter was, where he lived, and just wasn't willing to step up. Hutcherson, excuse me, an educator in an interview said this of that situation. He said, that's what happens when people lose hope. You don't think things will get better, so you just give up. Hutcherson commenting on this said, I don't want to see anyone give up hope, especially when hope is so readily within our grasp. Whether you're walking the streets of the inner city of Chicago or sitting at your kitchen table, no tragedy can dim the hope that comes from knowing that God will walk with you through the valley and that his presence will give you peace. See, as those that know God, that know Jesus, that have his spirit within us, we never have to give up hope because God is always available to walk with us through whatever it is. God wants to give us perspective. God wants to to make us productive. God wants to listen to our prayers and answer them. God wants to show his plan beyond the hopeless situation that we're in. I was reading a blog this week by a guy named John Acoff. His blog is called Stuff Christians Like. You should check it out. It's a good blog. And in there he said, you know what the most 
often given command is in the Bible? Now we could guess at that. won't spend the time to do that. He said the most often given command is do not fear. Do not fear. When people don't have hope, they fear. We're in a world that's filled with people that have come to the end of their hope, have empty hopes. There's a lot of fear out there. In Job chapter 11, one of Job's friends says this, and I need you to listen to this because there's some helpful things here. Job 11, verses 18 through 20 says, having hope will give you courage. You will be protected and rest in safety. You will lie down unafraid, and many will look to you for help. But the wicked, those that don't know God, those that don't have a relationship with him, those that don't follow him will be blinded. They will have no escape. Their only hope is death. See, we're in a world where people's only hope is death. But we are the people that have hope because of Jesus. We can rest in safety. We can lie down unafraid. And look at the end of verse 19. It says, And many will look to you for help. Many will look to you those of you that have your hope in Jesus. And you know what, people? We need to stand up. And the reason we need to stand up is because God loves those people and because their only hope is death. And our only hope is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we are so thankful for the hope that you give us. We're thankful for the understanding that we can have as we look to uh, Jeremiah and what he said to your people in a seemingly hopeless situation. And Father, as we maybe deal with our own feelings of hopelessness, as we know people that are feeling hopeless, just give us the, the opportunity to help them to understand that there's a God that wants to meet them there and wants to give them hope. Just thank you for that, for that gift and the reminder and the insights from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name.